Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Thank you for your patience while I took a little break over the last month. We did have a nice vacation, and but now we're back with a great episode. Today, we're talking to Hans Kaspersetz, and it's um, we're going to talk about Google in a couple of different ways. One uh, that you might be familiar with, using Google for research to find out what content you should be talking about, um, but also a way you don't usually think about it, and that is in life sciences, Google doesn't collect as much information as it, you might for lots of other topics that are that are bigger and have more content. So there's an opportunity to train Google and help it kind of establish a taxonomy on which it bases all of its rankings. So you can actually establish some authority by helping Google understand what relates to what and and using curation as a strategy to do that. So it's going to be a really fantastic episode. I think you're going to like it. As always, before we get started, I want to say a few words about the Association of Commercial Professionals Life Sciences. The ACPLS is having its annual meeting this year in Boston on October 25, 6, and 7. On the 27th are full-day workshops. The 25th and 6th are the, are the regular program. Lots of great stuff on digital marketing, content, analytics, We'll have lots of different vendors there so you can compare different platforms if you've been thinking about that. And uh, really excited, multiple person discounts. So if you can get a bunch of people from your company to go, and I think that's a great idea to get everybody on the same page, uh, you can save some money and take advantage of a, a discount that way. And remember, it's not just for marketing. Your sales team, we have lots of great content for them as well on negotiation, prospecting, account planning, and so on. So spread the word in your companies, and uh, we hope to see you in Boston in October. To learn more, go to acp-ls.org. Now, let's get on with today's episode. I'm excited to have as my guest today Hans Kaspersetz. He's the founder and president of Arcteric a digital agency for biotech and pharma. Hans, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thanks, Chris. I'm really glad to be on the show. Uh, I've heard a lot about it and uh, listened to a handful of them, so looking forward to it. Well, I'm, this is going to be a good one. I recommend everyone pay close attention today. There's going to be a lot of valuable stuff that I think almost everyone can use. Today, uh, we're going to talk about how stories can influence Google's index and search results and how you can help connect the dots for Google in your narrow niche. And then we'll also talk a little bit about using paid search for research. So the goal here is, of course, driving traffic and engagement. And I'm sure many people listening understand the basics of how Google ranks sites. But Google's learning all the time, and especially in small niches where there hasn't been a lot of content, and there's an opportunity for marketers, brands, and influencers to be the teacher, right? So, uh, Hans, can you take a minute and explain that, how we can help Google? Yeah. Um, so, Google crawls the web frequently. 
right? And they've indexed uh, lots and lots of books, and they've indexed lots and lots of scholarly work. And through that collection of content, they've built a semantic map of the entire web, right? Now, we operate, you know, in the life sciences and pharma and biotech in really narrow niches where there's going to be less activity and less content for Google to use to build up the sort of taxonomy of our particular content area. And so as marketers and content producers and storytellers, we have an opportunity to craft and to really curate the web for Google and to categorize the content and create that toxic taxonomy for the artificial intelligence. Nice. We're really teaching it. So um, how, you know, there's a lot to be learned by understanding uh, not just how Google works, but how people search. So how can we figure that out? Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's a ton of data on this, right? Um, Well, there's about 1.2 trillion searches per year in Google, uh, 60 billion of them are health related. Of that 60 billion, some 15% is absolutely unique to Google. Uh, Google's never seen this combination of words uh, or this combination of words like a query against the, the search index. And so there's always opportunity to sort of um, mine that information. And we do it in lots of ways, right? In the old days, we used to just go to Google Analytics and take a look at the referral data and see what keywords were passed on to us. Now that's been removed, right? Google has gone to fairly great lengths to to remove that. And now it shows up as not provided uh, in, in other ways. So this data, that old data source was removed, but that data still exists, right? So we can go to two places. We can go to Google Webmaster Tools or Webmaster Console, and query data is there, but we don't know what pages were served for that. Or we can run pay-per-click. And when we run pay-per-click, we have the search terms report. And interestingly, for two separate clients in the last year, we've had an opportunity to take a look at uh, I think about 2 million impressions for one client uh, and a couple hundred thousand for the other client. Now, in both cases, we were trying to learn what is it that, um, what are people really looking for? And how are we going to be able to outcompete our competitors in search, right? How do we tell better stories? How do we satisfy users' query intent more accurately? And the best place to start is to see what people are actually searching for. So we took this data and we did an analysis and, you know, we really looked at the the question words, what, where, how, why, uh, can, should, could, etc. And started to categorize all of these search queries. And for one client, I think we came up with about 1400 questions that were being asked against the search engine. We then went another step further and started to categorize those and see of those how many were actually unique and how many questions were variants on a particular topic. You know, people, because of this concept where, you know, Google is seeing all these unique searches, people are asking the same question in many different ways, which creates an opportunity for us. So then we narrow it down further and we get down to like 250 questions or question types that are relevant to the brand. 
And then we say, okay, based on our budget, we're going to try to answer these 40 variants or these 40 question types, which may have four or five variants each. And, you know, this is a really, really prime area for research because Google's come out and said uh, multiple times in the last couple of years, they're going to do two things. One, uh, we need to be conscientious that things are happening in micro moments. So these are all the really small touch points along the way that lead to some sort of an outcome for a brand, right? And then two, um, they're going to rank content that either helps somebody complete a task or answer a question, right? Google's mission is to organize all the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. So we want to really play to that. And so by taking these different question types or questions and all the variants on them and then creating a single answer that satisfies all of them and then publishing all, say, five or six forms of this question with that one answer and then feeding that back into the search index, we go a long way to helping Google satisfy its mission and we're creating the taxonomy for all of these different questions on a particular topic. And this is equally applicable even when we get out of the question and answer space and we get into uh, more high science or sort of you know, reagents or, or methods, uh, out there. Right. So. Sure. So, uh, the one thing that stuck with me right at the end, you said publish all the form or answers to each form of a question. Did I hear that right? So you're taking, you know, a question that's asked a lot of different ways, but publishing some content so that the exact search phrase shows up or, yeah. So Some, if you take a look at Google's search uh, results, oftentimes at the bottom of the page, it says people also asked. Right. And um, those those are related questions to the sort of the, the originating question. Now, we took that theme and we go a step further. So, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a really useful, simple example. <laughs> I had some yesterday. So in any event... We can ask the same question in a couple of different ways, right? What's the weather going to be today? How warm is it today? Is it sunny today? Right? Those are all basically the same question uh, formulated in different ways. And they all basically have the same answer. It's going to be 50 degrees out and partly sunny. The same thing happens in life sciences and healthcare information. Uh, for instance, how do I use product X? Or even more, be even better, what does product X cost? How much is product X? Uh, what's the price of product X? Well, those are three different ways of asking the same question, right? They all have the same answer. And so when we build our content strategy, we might build an FAQ page that says, how much does product X cost? And then we present the answer of what it costs. And then at the bottom of the page, we say, people also asked... And we have the other three variants of that question with a self-referencing link that takes you back to the same page. Now, that's a super simple example. Now, we can think of much, much more complex examples around uh, our products and services. Right. That, that did exactly answer my question. So you're not creating three, for example, different answers, but somewhere on the page, and an FAQ is a great example in general, then you, you phrase the question differently 
It all points to the same place, but Google has seen that that page has the answer to all three questions. To all three forms of that question. Right. It's really exactly. the same question. And for your, for your more sophisticated pu content publishers, we'll actually use dynamic content injection in order to do this. So we might have one page in our content management system that takes the question as a query string and then dynamically inserts that into, say, the title tag and the H1 tag and into the content. And then we'll do the same sort of programmatic sort of dynamic insertion of content into our ads as well. Uh, so that over time, as we accumulate additional variants of that question, we can just feed additional variants of that question into the page or into the content management system. Right. So that brings to mind, it's kind of the opposite. So I had a gentleman on the podcast probably a year and a half ago, Steve Roeder, and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember the name of his company. So, um, and I'm going to look it up honestly right here. So, uh, <laughs> uh, maybe he has a new job, but anyway, <laughs> so he, he had, uh, he was working for this company that helped many companies, but his example was Illumina, who's a big player in the life sciences, of course, use the right phrasing for different things all the time. In other words, they had kind of a brand catalog of words they would use. And the whole point of it was they were generating content maybe from multiple contributors and they wanted to keep it brand consistent. So their software would prompt you if you used a certain phrase, um, let's just say operating system, and someone else plugs in OS, it would prompt one of them to say, don't you want to say operating system here? And it wasn't forcing you to write in a certain way, but it would always ask you to make some judgment about terms that you would use so that when a document or a manual or something is put together uh, from multiple contributors, it sounds like it was written by one person. And, and I bring that up because your solution there is sort of taking all the possible ways someone could write something and making sure they're all present somewhere in your content so that Google knows all these things are the same thing and I have an answer no matter how someone asks the question. Yeah, and it's, it's actually even bigger than that. Um, the, the really important piece in 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 triggering an action from a consumer whether it's b2b or b2b to c or you know anyone we want to take action is to create trust really really quickly right people aren't going to invest a lot of time i mean the average attention span is like five or six seconds now so creating really close alignment between what the individual search for the ad or the organic search result that you serve up and then the page that they land on uh, is really important to sort of keeping people in the, in, the, in the flow and in that conversion funnel, right? Mm -hmm. And that conversion funnel leads to lots of different actions. It's just, you know, you can see it. It's the read more button so that they can consume the whole page. It's the start the video. It's, you know, fill out a form. It's all of these different kinds of actions. And this methodology uses the pay-per-click data and the other data that's available to us 
and it's quite a lot of data to narrowly define uh, what we're going to present and align it super closely, ultra closely with what the user's looking for. And then when we go a step further, this supports sort of reusable content, right? And sort of much bigger enterprise level content uh, strategy, because even within an organization now, you know, to your point, when somebody searches for a particular thing, even if they're not completely on topic or they don't know all the words, we can still sort of do some natural language processing in order to serve up that the right answer for that query. Now, we're fortunate that Google is doing all of this work already for us. But if you wanted to go out and take a look at Azure or some other uh, artificial intelligence platforms and you wanted to start teaching those platforms, this is the place to do that. Nice. Okay, so um, there's a paid search strategy. So you talked about a pay-per-click that drives relevant targeted traffic and helps brands learn what people are asking. And that provides a level of intelligence on top of essentially what learning what queries you don't want to pay for. What does that look like? Yeah, so I'm going to tell you a little story. We were working for somebody in the immunology space, right? And... Um, you know, we go out and we need to buy interleukin 17 on pay-per-click AdWords, right? And so we're going to buy interleukin 17, and then we're also going to bid on IL 17. Well, for us as, as healthcare marketers, IL 17 is, is clearly interleukin 17, but for the rest of the world, it's Illinois state highway 17. (laughs) And yeah, and on the day, you know, on one of the days we're running this campaign, you know, there wasn't enough noise around this highway to mean anything. But one day there was a traffic accident on Illinois State 17. And suddenly our pay-per-click traffic spiked and our budget started to get wiped out because of this sort of, you know, greedy uh, pay-per-click bidding, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, and this is sort of, you know, kind of a funny example, I mean, a monitor all of your campaigns and, you know, pay your agencies to do that. That's important because that means that we can hedge the risks and we can take advantage of them and, you know, constantly update your negative keyword list. Now, that's sort of one facet of it. And it's a really gross example of it. But when we start to refine that and we start to look at the way people ask questions and then the behavioral data associated with how they act once they get on our landing page, we can learn pretty quickly, or at least in relatively modest uh, sample sizes, whether or not the page we've built satisfies the user intent and whether or not the audience we're able to get in front of with a particular question or a particular keyword or a particular, you know, sort of topical concept is the right audience for us. And so, you know, when we build content strategy, we want to look at all of that data. And we want to really think deeply about it. And then we want to be in a test and learn mode all the time. So we might go out in the beginning and buy relatively broad terms, right? Uh, Reagent, you know, the name of your reagent, or we might buy your competitor's name, or we might buy, you know, something relatively broad or something that's on topic um, or a particular treatment target, right? And then we're going to collect that data for a while. And because... 
in our narrow niches, we're not going to have a lot of volume on it. So it's going to take us a while to get useful data. But once that data starts to come in, we're going to see that Google is going to start to indicate to us what are the related topics to what we're buying. And that's going to show up in your search terms reports. It's going to show up in you know, some of the other data feeds that we have. And then we're going to want to actually go buy some of the things we saw in the search terms report. Some of them we're going to put into our negative keyword list and we're going to get rid of because they're low performing. Some of it we're going to actually buy advertising on those things. And then we're going to create ads targeted for those things. And we might run broad match advertising or phrase match advertising on it, bidding strategies, and see what else that produces. And that will start to produce the variance that we're talking about. And then, you know, we go back to our clients and we go back to our creative teams and our authors, you know, our writers, and, and we start to create content tailored to those particular examples. I mean, I think you talked about something very similar to this uh, with protocols.io, right? You know, they kind of put in the original protocol and then people are able to duplicate that protocol and then make modifications to it. And then that becomes part of the common record, the public record for those protocols. And we can see how reagents are used across all these different areas. We're really sort of adopting the same sort of branching approach in our in our bidding strategies and our pay-per-click strategies and then our content strategies. So we publish something, we see what kind of traffic it attracts, we see how it does in the SERPs, and then we publish something in response to that or a optimization of that piece in order to perform better or perform in the way we want it to perform. Right. So, um, and maybe you've already answered this, but tell me how you use the results of an experiment like that. I mean, it, it is essentially what you just said. Am I right? It, modifying the content you have or branching out and creating new content? Yeah, that's exactly right. So sort of, you know, like we were talking about earlier, we identify a question, we write an answer to that, Right. We go and look at where we think we want it to rank organically, right? Because 72% of all traffic goes to the organic search results. So only a small fraction goes to the paid search results. So you really want to sort of optimize for organic search. And you build the content, you publish the content, you link to the content, and then you see if it performs the way you want it to. And you see, you know, within the data whether or not there's opportunities to publish additional content. A really good strategy is <clears throat> to identify a topic, create a video on that topic. Then you take the manuscript for it. You associate the manuscript with the video. You buy some advertising. You point at it. And then over time, you modify that topic, the video and the content, in response to how it performs based on the pay-per-click data, the Google Analytics data, and the other sort of data feeds that we have access to. Got it. So um, I know we talked about this previously. And I don't know if we mentioned it here today, but is that what you mean by a taxonomy of content or is it something different? So the, yeah, we started talking about curating the web earlier, right? There's right. all these disparate pieces of scholarly work and blogs and articles and journal publications and, and whatnot all over the place, right? And in a really narrow niche, 
at times Google can have a really hard time, actually all search engines can have a really hard time building up a cohesive picture of how this content relates to each other. There's co-citation, right? And there's co-occurrence, which, you know, when two articles are cited together, Google's able to determine that they're both sort of on the same topic. And then, of course, if it can crawl the content, it can figure out how these things are related. But as storytellers and content publishers, we have an opportunity to pull all these things together, right? And to create sort of the roadmap that the search engines will follow to understand how these disparate pieces of content and concepts come together to create a story about a topic. And we, you know, we're fortunate that there's not so much activity and so much competition on a lot of these topics that we can influence that by doing that, either through our linking strategies or by our, you know, sort of bibliographic strategies and our, you know, citing articles together and pulling concepts together as we write authoritative content on a particular topic. I see. So yeah, this comes back to what we sort of talked about a little bit at the beginning. So imagine um, as many people listening here, they work in a, a small niche or they're selling to scientists who work, you know, every scientific project is a niche unto itself to some degree. Um, and for that, there may not be a lot of content, but you have a product that serves that and you can create content. And this is a part of a strategy, honestly, I've never thought of before. But So I really like this idea of publishing content that brings existing references together in the same place, which essentially tells Google, my page and those two articles by those two scientists are all about the same thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the beautiful thing is, you're able to sort of steal a little bit of brand equity from those scientists by referencing those primary sources, right? So yeah. we don't necessarily have to be the primary researcher in a particular area, right? Or we don't have to be the, the you know, sort of lead, you know, investigator in the publication. But by writing what is essentially review articles on a concept and pulling together all of these primary sources and then publishing it. And then sort of you have to have the rest of the picture as well. Um, you know, Google you know, sort of relies on, on the um, authority, you know, sort of established authority of, a, of an author, right? I mean, if I generally write about um, SEO or, you know, kind of agency operations, I'm authoritative on that topic, right? If I start writing about, you know, PD4, phosphodiesterase 4, and, you know, it's, you know, sort of downward modulation of cyclic AMP, the hydrolyzation of cyclic AMP, Google's probably not going to see me as authoritative on that topic, right? So authorship is important in this particular concept, concept, um, in this particular concept, but for the companies that we work for and the companies that we support, they have experts, domain experts in this area. And even the brand, that company's brand is a domain expert in this particular area. So as it publishes, it has sufficient authority on topic to pull together these primary resources, publish the article, publish the story, publish, you know, the post and gain authority on it and help 
curate the web so that, you know, when somebody searches on this particular topic, they find the review article or they, the blog post, and then they're able to link out to the primary sources to really dig in much deeper. Yeah. And so you mentioned the word curate, which we mentioned at the top of the podcast, which is exactly what this is. And it's a new, it's a new benefit to curation that I don't think a lot of people have thought about. So often you're curating content just to put something interesting in front of your audience. But the added benefit is by curating multiple relevant pieces of content, articles, um, primary research together you're adding to your authority in that space. And again, teaching Google that what you do is relevant to every one of those assets. Yeah. And this is applicable across channels, right? So if you're in social media and you're publishing links to articles, right? And stories online, if people are sharing those things and retweeting them and republishing them and commenting on them, they're now third party endorsing you as an authority in that particular area. And so as brands, we want to be doing that, right? We want to sort of be collecting up all of these different sources of information, pulling them together, sharing them with our audience in an authentic way, right? In a very helpful and sort of uh, supportive way of whatever endeavor they're into. So, you know, if, uh, you know, a very interesting, you know, possibility is, you know, you have a reagent, right? Or you're, you, you sell reagents or you sell laptop equipment and you're buying pay-per-click on these things, right? And you're trying to sell into them. And then suddenly you start to see a spike in a particular product that you sell or even one of your competitors' products if you happen to be buying their product names and bidding on their product names. Well, that's an opportunity to go out and identify, well, why is there a sudden spike, right? Because this is a leading indicator of market activity around these particular products. You have an opportunity to go out and start to create content to sort of support that product or launch a competitive product, right? Or, you know, sort of make an adjustment in your marketing strategy around these things. So, you know, oftentimes we have trailing indicators of sales and, and, and deliveries uh, that drive our decision-making. I think really taking advantage of the search data that's available and sort of the activity in these spaces and, and the how content's being published and sort of what the trends are gives you an op- a forward look or a leading level, you know, leading edge look into what you should be doing in the near term around, you know, around content strategy and around how to pull things together to make them useful for, for, for our customers and, and buyers. I like it. I like it a lot. So we're getting close to wrapping up here. I mean, I think we're, we've gotten to this part where we're really putting together content and storytelling. We're answering the questions that our users are asking and so how do we, if we haven't covered this, how do we create an ecosystem of content to not only answer those questions, but educate Google that our content is the go-to source for everything that's related? Yeah, I have to think about that for a second. <laughs> And I'm not sure that we didn't just answer that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in, in large part, right, the, 
here's, I said this earlier, right? Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. If we want to win as brands, we need to play to that end. We need to be thinking about where our users will be down the road, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, where we think Google's going to be down the road, six months, 12 months, 18 months. And then we need to build content strategies that look that far out, right? Because what we don't want is like a really strong pop when we launch this stuff and then it just tails off and doesn't give you any long-term ROI. We want to take our unique vision and perspective in the domains that we're experts in, you know, as life science marketers and biotechnologists and pharma people and, and sort of, and think about where things are going to be and then lead both the, our customers and Google in that direction by building really authoritative, deep content. I mean, I think I looked at some data last year uh, that, you know, the average article had 1,200 words if you wanted to rank in a semi-competitive niche. And that's a lot of content. That's about two and a half pages in Word, in a Microsoft Word document. And if we really want to win, and we're not talking about selling sneakers, right? We're talking about science here, right? We're talking about dealing with very sophisticated buyers who understand their topics probably much better than we do as marketers. Um, we need to have authoritative writers who are experts on these topics creating content for us. And then we need to be creating distribution strategies, multi-channel distribution strategies through organic search, through sort of link building, through social media, through pay-per-click advertising, through, you know, other sorts of, of media, right? Even press releases and, and shows like this one to ensure sort of, you know, distribution and utilization of this content. And, you know, Google can see it when they, when somebody searches for a topic and, you know, they get the search results back, the, when they click on a link and they go to that site, if they bounce back to Google pretty quickly and then go to another link and stay for a long time, that's a really clear indication that that second link satisfied their query intent. It's a little bit noisy. It's not the greatest signal for them, but it is a real signal for them. And it is a real signal for us. So driving engagement through rich, authoritative content is the, the way we should be going. It's the way to win. Nice. Well, Hans Kasper sets. this has been a fantastic interview. I really appreciate you taking the time to answer all those questions. And it really gets me thinking, and I hope everybody listening, uh, a little bit differently about Google, which we sort of, I think, lean on to say, oh, we need to be ranking, but not really thinking about how we can use it for research. And then also the fact that not only can you optimize your content to rank in Google, but you can actually teach Google that you are the one that should be ranking on top. And that's just a different mindset about how you're going to create content, particularly if you're in a specialized niche. So uh, where can people go to find out more about you and your agency? <laughs> I'm not sure that, that anybody really wants to find out about me, um, but I uh, founded a company called Arteric. We founded it in 1999. 
Uh, we build websites, mobile apps, and web applications for pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies. We do all the work that's required to drive traffic to them. And, you know, when people ask us why we do it, we really truly believe we're in the life extension business. Um, our uh, job is to connect people to, you know, the products and therapies that they need to either invent and commercialize um, life-changing, you know, technologies and, and drugs, or to get people in, onto therapy that'll extend their life and we're pretty passionate about it. I think there's a, it's really hugely rewarding to do that work. Well, that sounds, yeah, obviously that's a, that's a great thing to be working for. So I will put a link to Arteric in the show notes. And once again, Hans, thank you so much for a great podcast. Chris, thank you very much for the opportunity. My pleasure. There you have it. I think uh, that should be really helpful for all of you trying to create better content and learning um, how you can take advantage of Google and putting yourself in that test and learn mode all the time to refine your content and then adding on a new curation strategy and seeing the benefit of pulling together content in your niche to help Google understand what you're all about and how you fit into that whole uh, framework. So I want to thank Hans once again. I want to thank you all for listening. I know uh, you're all very busy, and I really appreciate that you take some time out of your week or two to spend 30 minutes with us here on Life Science Marketing Radio. Um, if you like the show, as always, tell two friends. That's the best thing you can do. It helps grow the audience, helps me find more guests. And if there's somebody you want to hear interviewed on the podcast or if there's a topic we should be covering that you haven't heard yet, let me know. Send me an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. I will talk to you in another two weeks. Bye-bye.